Welcome to Richard Ellis Talks with Richard Ellis. Richard's going to take the next few minutes to share some great words of hope, insight, humor, and relevance. In today's lost and searching world, that's something everyone desperately needs to hear. Speaking of that, we'd love to keep this conversation going with you anytime through our website, richardellistalks.com. In fact, there's so many ways to connect with us from there that you really need to check it out for yourself, richardellistalks.com. But right now, let's go ahead and get things off and running with today's talk. Here's Richard Ellis. The title of today's message is Stand By. Edmund Burke said this, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. And in that case, they just stand by. I'd like you to turn to Genesis chapter 37, and I don't have time to get into this whole story, but the story in Genesis 37 is about Joseph. Joseph is a little kid, the youngest of these 12 brothers, and he starts dreaming dreams. He tells his brothers he's dreaming these dreams, and in these dreams, He turns out to be the guy that they're all bowing down to, hard thing for them to hear, and they start hating on this guy, their own brother. The brothers are out tending sheep, taking care of the flocks, and Joseph's dad says, why don't you go out and check on them? So let's jump in at verse 12. Then his brothers went to feed their flocks, their father's flocks in Shechem, and Israel said to Joseph, are not your brothers feeding the flock in Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. Now, this is a simple phrase, but it'll tie in later. So all he says, come, I will send you to them. And what does he come back with? So he said, here I am. There's something about that phrase, here I am. You want me to go there? That's where I'll go. Ready, willing, kind of on standby to do whatever his dad wanted him to do. Then he said to him, please go and see if it is well with your brothers and well with the flocks and bring back word to me. So he sent him out to the valley of Hebron, and he went to Shechem. Now a certain man found him there who was wandering in the field, and the man asked him, saying, What are you seeking? So he said, I'm seeking my brothers. Please tell me where they are feeding their flocks. And the man said, They have departed from here, and I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them in Dothan. Now look at this. Now when they saw him afar off, even before he came near them, They conspired against him to kill him. They look off and see him. Interesting contrast to the story of the prodigal son. The father sees the son away off and runs to greet him. These guys see their little brother afar off and go, here he comes. We got to figure out a way to kill this kid. So they hated their brother. Then they said to one another, look, this dreamer is coming. Come, therefore, let us kill him and cast him into some pit And we shall say, some wild beast has devoured him. We shall see what will become of his dreams. In other words, they are bitter about the dreams that he says he's having and how it involves his older brothers. Throw him in a pit. We'll kill him, tell daddy's dead, and we'll see what happens to his dreams. But Reuben heard it, and he delivered him out of their hands and said, let us not kill him. So big brother Reuben says, no, we're not killing him. And Reuben said to them, shed no blood, but cast him into this pit, which is in the wilderness, and do not lay a hand on him that he might deliver him out of their hands and bring him back to his father. So Reuben's plan was, okay, we'll throw him in the pit, leave him there, don't kill him. And then Reuben was going to circle back around and help him. So he's not standing by and just letting something happen at this point. So it came to pass when Joseph had come to his brothers that they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the tunic of many colors that was on him. He's the little baby in the family. He's even got this special coat of many colors. You've heard about that maybe. 
And then they took him, cast him into a pit, and the pit was empty. There was no water in it. And they sat down to eat a meal. Then they lifted their eyes and looked, and there was a company of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels, bearing spices, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry them down to Egypt. So Judah said to his brothers, what profit is there if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother in our flesh. And his brothers listened. Then the Midianite traders passed by. So the brothers pulled Joseph up and lifted him up out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver, and they took Joseph to Egypt. Then Reuben, look how he circles back around. Then Reuben returned to the pit, and indeed Joseph was not in the pit, and he tore his clothes, and he returned to his brothers and said, the lad is no more, and I, where shall I go? In other words, you guys have killed our brother. So they took Joseph's tunic, killed a kid of the goats, and dipped the tunic in the blood. Then they sent the tunic of many colors, and they brought it to their father and said, we have found this. Do you know whether it is your son's tunic or not? Well, of course they know. Next verse, and he recognized it and said, it is my son's tunic, and a wild beast has devoured him. Without doubt, Joseph is torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put sackcloth on his waist, and mourned for his son many days. Now it's even worse. Now they've told their dad, he thinks, well, my youngest is dead and lives for years with that understanding. And this family knows the truth. These boys know what really happened. And all his sons and all his daughters arose to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, for I shall go down into the grave to my son in mourning. Thus the father wept for him. Now the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh and captains of the guard. Ever been sold? You say, well, who gets sold? You go back a few hundred years and ask some slaves about this. He said, well, what is that? Why would God allow someone to be sold? Look, I don't have all the answers. But I can tell you God has brought great good from horrific things. Bad stuff happened to Jesus, but he brought some great good from it. I would not be here, would not make heaven without him. And we'll refer to that in a little bit. Joseph ends up being sold to Potiphar, runs Potiphar's house. Potiphar's got this wife chasing Joseph around all the time, wanting to have sex. And he keeps saying, no, no, no. One day he gets caught in the house and she gets his garment. He's not doing anything with her. And then she accuses him. He ends up in a prison, in the king's prison. He ends up running the king's prison in his 20s. He's running a prison. And then on one day, you have to go read how this goes down. He ends up in front of Potiphar. Within hours, he's in front of Pharaoh, ends up in front of Pharaoh and describes what is coming in the future. And Pharaoh makes him prime minister of Egypt at 30 from being sold into slavery. They're telling their dad that he's dead. And now at 30, he's prime minister of Egypt. That cannot be a complaining person. When God is building leadership into you and trying to turn you into someone that he can live in and through, there's going to be adversity. But sometimes the adversity that you go through along the way is the very thing that you need when you get where you need to know what to do. Don't quit. And in the case of Reuben here especially, don't stand by. We have lost our minds. We stand by now and watch things happen to people and go, well, I don't want to get involved. I'll get sued. I'll get hurt. I'm with you. Be wise. But if you walk with God and you talk with God, then you hear from God and he can impress upon you when it is time to stop standing by and get in the fight. Not the fight physically necessarily, but to help someone. John 18. John 18. Jesus is about to be arrested after dinner. Verse one, then Judas, having received a detachment of troops and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, came there 
with lanterns, torches, and weapons. By the way, what weapons, what good are weapons going to do taking on God? Think about this. They clearly did not know who he was. Oh, I'm going to pull a sword on God? Really? Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward and said to them, whom are you seeking? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. And Judas, who betrayed him, also stood to them. Now when he said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground, knocked him down, just saying, it's me, because they were all afraid of this guy. Then he asked them again, whom are you seeking? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I have told you that I am he. Therefore, if you seek me, let these go their way that the saying might be fulfilled which he spoke, of those whom you gave me, I have lost none. Then Simon Peter, look at this, having a sword. So he's packing. <laughs> this is a knife. This is a sword. Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it, struck the high priest's servant, and cut his right ear off. The servant's name was Malchus. So Peter's like, bring it. I am not standing by while you arrest my savior. You go, boom, you go Peter. Get the other ear, whatever you gotta do, let's stop this madness. Now, keep reading. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup which my father has given me? Then the detachment of troops and the captain of the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus, bound him, and they led him away to Annas first, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. Now it was Caiaphas who advised the Jews that it was expedient that one man should die for the people. And Simon Peter followed Jesus and so did another disciple. Now that disciple was known to the high priest and went with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood at the door outside. Then the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to her who kept the door and brought Peter in. Then the servant girl who kept the door said to Peter, you are not also one of these men's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Minutes later, from having drawn a sword to protect Jesus, gets a simple question, are you one of his disciples? He says, no, I'm not. Now that's Peter. You know why I know we are capable of doing the same thing? Because we do the same thing. Every once in a while, I'm driving to do this. I'm in the car, I come by myself. It's safer that way. <laughs> it's hard to argue, you know, you just drive by yourself. Come in four cars if you have to. I'm driving in the car. And literally today, I'm in the car trying to get here, and it's game on. Somebody cut me off, and I'm like, have I lost my mind? I am getting all stirred up inside. Just I'm on the way to preach. <laughs> you think you're going to church and you feel bad. I'm the one up here. got to get up here, and I'm still doing this mess. And you slow down a little bit and recover, and then speed back up and catch them, you know. <laughs> no. Didn't do that. One minute we're all after God and the next minute we're gone. Don't even know him. Don't even know him. Are you one of his disciples, one of his followers? I am not. I am not. Are you a Christian? I am not. I am not. You say, well, I've never said that. If you stand by when stuff goes down, you've said it by default. You've said it. Keep reading. I am not. Now the servants and officers who had made a fire of coal stood there, for it was cold, and they warmed themselves. And Peter stood with them and warmed himself. 
The high priest then asked Jesus about his disciples and his doctrine. Jesus answered him, I spoke openly to the world. I always taught in the synagogue and in the temple where the Jews always meet. In secret, I have said nothing. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. Indeed, they know what I said. And when he had said these things, one of the officers who stood by struck Jesus with the palm of his hand saying, do you answer the high priest like that? Jesus answered him, if I have spoken evil, bear witness of the evil, but if well, why do you strike me? Then Ananias sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter stood and warmed himself. Therefore they said to him, you are not also one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. Within minutes, two times, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of him whose ear Peter cut off, now it's getting personal. Before it's just, are you one of his followers? Now, one of the servants of the high priest, a relative of him whose ear Peter cut off, now we got problems. Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter then denied again and immediately a rooster crowed. And that's what Jesus told him. For the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. Not gonna happen. Now, you say, well, Peter didn't stand by. He pulled a sword. He fought. Yeah, but then hours within minutes later, he's denying him three times. But if you keep following Peter around within days, Jesus comes back again. You know what happens to me? No matter how much I deny him with my words, my life, my actions, he is merciful unless he takes my life or I do something stupid and die or it's just my time. He keeps coming back and saying, okay, can we talk about this again? Because I'm gonna give you another shot. Because I chose you, I love you, I am going to use you unless you just say no. And you say, but Lord, I did this. Jesus at the Sea of Galilee, out there fishing, and asked Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, do you love me? Do you love me? Feed my lambs, feed my sheep. Goes at Peter three times. And then God uses Peter's life. It doesn't mean Peter never screwed up again. It's just God knows we are flesh. He knows we are screw-ups, that we have capacity for what I call heinosities and just simple heinous things. So let's say you've landed on your butt and you are, you've denied him recently, today, with your life, your everything. Then say, God, you're right, I'm wrong, I'm sorry. People say, oh, but your faith is a very personal thing. Then stop showing me pictures of your grandkids. Isn't that a personal thing too? Oh, look at our new baby, that's too personal. I can't look at the pictures of your new baby. Too personal. You know why your faith is so stinking personal you can't talk about it? Because you don't have anything to say. Nothing's going on. Or you've got so much sin in your life, you're embarrassed you'd be a hypocrite if you even spoke his name. You say, well, you're being mean. No, we're all being mean to him. That's who's being mean. Dies on a cross, buried, raised from the dead to save our sorry butts, and we can't even say we know him. I am not. I am not. Acts chapter 7. You say, well, I've been standing by my whole stinking life. Well, let me give you some good news. He can still use you. If you're breathing, he can use you. Acts chapter 7, Stephen gives this address. Jump in at verse 51. He's closing out this speech, this message, and he's, he's going fine until he gets to this. He says, verse 51, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Could that be said about me, you? Stiff-necked, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. 
That's a horrible thing to be said about you. The Holy Spirit comes and says, let's do this. You go, no, 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 no. It never stops. Resist, resist, resist. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers who have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed at him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears and ran at him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul who stood by and let it happen. Not even a Christian at that point. And if you don't know who Saul is, his name gets turned into Paul. But that day, they laid their clothes down so they could be all loose and free to throw the rocks hard and stone this Stephen. You say, well, that was me. I've lived this life. I hated Christians. I hated God. I hated, you know what? He loved you even before you decided to love him. He loved you before you were born. He knew everything you'd do, and he still came after us. He already knows my future screw-ups from this day forward, and he's already made a provision for those a couple thousand years ago. Now, that same Saul who became Paul, go to Philippians chapter 1. So you're alive. So What? You say, well, I'm going to be a good father, okay? I'm going to be a good mother. I'm going to be a good dad, okay? Those are all good things. How about being a good son or daughter from God's perspective? If you've ever seen me with my dad, I'm not a very good son all the time, but if my daddy walks in this room, I will throw my arms around my daddy and I will kiss my father because I'm glad to see him. And no matter how bizarre the relationship has been at certain points, I love my dad, and I'll introduce you to my father. This is my dad. This is my daddy. That's what I call him, my daddy. Then why is it when our heavenly father walks in the room, we act like we don't even know the man, the God, like he's done us wrong, like we're embarrassed? You know who are embarrassed of their parents? Teenage little kids. Drop me off here, Mom. You know, nobody's seeing me get out of your car your old bomb of a car that you're driving to feed me. But one day when you grow up, not so embarrassed anymore. Time to grow up, not be so embarrassed anymore. So somebody said you're a Christian. I am not. Oh, sorry. Clearly a problem there. Must have gotten it wrong. Or someone says, hey, I heard you're a Christian. Not shocked to hear that. You seem like an extraordinary person. Could you tell me about that? Yeah, I can tell you about that. I got pictures. My whole life is a big picture of being lost and found and rescued and restored and changed. And I'm not there yet, but man, he's done some extraordinary things. And I still have suffering, but at least I'm suffering for the right things, not the wrong things. Listen to this same Saul who became Paul in Philippians chapter 1, verse 19. And he's going through some tough stuff. He says, For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness, 
as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, in other words, if I don't die immediately, this will mean fruit from my labor, Yet what I choose I cannot tell, for I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith, that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. So it's like you go to an airport and... You have an option to go stand by, and the flight's about to leave, and they call your name, and they say, okay, you can take this flight. You're on standby. And you go, gosh, this is crazy. I want to go where it's going. But if I get on, then I leave these people behind, and you got an option. Every day, you should be on standby. Every day. For me to live as Christ, to die as gain. Could this be the day, Lord? You say, well, who lives that way? What about your wife? What about your kids? What about all that? At some point, you got more going on there than you do here. At some point, your treasure is there. As much as I love my wife and my kids, the one who died for me is there. And I hope that more every day, I have a desire to see him and to be with him and to worship him and touch those hands and those feet and express my gratitude. You say, well, I'm not on standby. I don't even go to the airport. I don't even desire to go. I'm staying here. Okay, let's go with that. So you're staying. Even if you're given the option, you go, I'm staying. For what? For what? Well, God wants me to be a great man and a great husband and a great father and a great friend and a great employee. I get all that. Is your life changing anybody else's life? When someone asks, do they even ask if you're a Christian? Does anybody even know that? And if they ask, would you say, I am not, or would you jump in? We'll get back to Richard in a moment to close out today's talk. But first, I want to share something about our program. Our mission is actually very simple, to take the planet. So it's our prayer that these daily talks from Richard aren't something you only hear and enjoy, but that they inspire you to share with others. Together, we can do this. The message of the gospel is something everyone needs to hear, and that's why it's such a priority to us. So join us in this important mission. Call us at 855-6-RICHARD to say you're in. Or you can get on board with us through our website, richardellistalks.com. Well, here's Richard with some closing thoughts for us. Okay, last one, 1 Peter chapter 3, to that point. 1 Peter chapter 3, let's jump in at verse 11, if you got it. Talking to Christians, let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. These are simple things. You say, well, I'm not going to stand by anymore. Then what are you going to do? You're going to take action. You're not going to pursue evil anymore. Turn away from evil. Do good. You say, well, I've turned away from evil. That's not enough. Now listen to me. It's not enough. You stop one thing, you think, well, it's all going to stop. If you don't go in a different direction, you're going to end up back where you stopped. Keep reading. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. 
And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, in other words, for doing the right thing, which happens, there's persecution, you are blessed and do not be afraid of their threats nor be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Always be ready. So what's your plan? Someone says, Wow, what do you believe, Richard? I do not. I do not. And then you walk away and deny him. Or you say, wow, it's amazing you asked me that. This may take a minute, but here's what I believe. Here's what's changed. And again, you just, you're a witness testifying to what you know, what you have. You say, but I don't have much. Then get you some more. You say, well, I got Jesus. Isn't that enough? Yes. But learn to give a reason for the hope that's within you. If you're growing, that reason you're more articulate in explaining that. And then you'll say, the craziest thing happened to me. I got in this conversation, I shared my faith, and the person prayed and became a Christian. That's crazy. No, that should be our lives. <laughs> That's what he left you here to do. You're either planting seeds, cultivating it, watering it, something. I am one little piece. When I get to lead somebody to Christ, I realize I am just a harvester, hopefully an international harvester but it takes all of it, and God is the one that gives the increase. You've been listening to Richard Ellis Talks. We really appreciate that you've spent this time with us, but we want to keep the conversation going with you. A couple of ways you can connect with us is by giving us a call anytime at 855-6-RICHARD. That's 855-6-RICHARD. Another way is through our website, richardellistalks.com. You can email us, sign up to get the daily talks sent to your phone each day, write on the prayer wall where we can pray for you, or even stay in touch through our Facebook page at Talk with Richard. We love bringing you the program every day, but it means even more to us when you let us know how the program has helped you. So call 855-6-RICHARD or connect with us at our website, richardellistalks.com. Finally, if you enjoy the program, let us know by your generous support. It would really mean a lot to us. richardellistalks.com. So until next time, have a great day and thank you for listening to Richard Ellis Talks.